0: going live in three two and one ladies and gentlemen welcome to the wojo walkthrough podcast Uh, the guest we have on today is jeffrey crumbaugh the great and powerful jeffrey crumbaugh and uh, this is his third time returning to the platform very excited to get into things today with you because these past couple months have been very strange in regards to Uh, The development of artificial intelligence and like chat GPT would be a good example of that. You know it's very very complicated subject and uh, you know I'm not going to pretend like I like I know what's going on because I don't and it it confuses me so I, I wanted to talk to you about it and hopefully, you know, get a better understanding on it. Because if anybody could help me understand it better, it's you.
1: Yeah, it's great to be back. And especially with such a uh, hyper relevant topic as AI, it's sort of at the next episode in a long tradition of emerging uh, phenomena in science. I mean, you could almost say uh, um, nuclear uh, technology would be one of them, right? Where it had pros and cons and Genetics and genetic engineering uh, would be uh, another one, and uh, now AI is emerging. Certainly, in nanotechnology even uh, is, is continues to be a, a a critical issue, but AI is definitely in the forefront
0: mm-hmm.
1: of issues in our society because it's going to have a profound influence on the way we conduct our our lives uh, and whether we make uh, progress uh, intellectually, business-wise, socially. There are a lot of threats that it presents and a lot of opportunities so it's important to know a lot about it so
0: i think it's important to establish a common understanding of what ai is and what it can do when you think of ai is a pretty broad term right it refers to computer systems that are that can perform tasks that normally humans could do you know whether that looks like uh you know speech recognition like you know siri are uh, you know uh, deep learning, natural language processing, machine
1: learning is what uh, typically what mm. traditional AI has has been, uh, but now it's now it's growing to the point where it can be even
0: even in simple terms where with the iPhone uh, visual perception where it recognizes your face mm-hmm. and unlocks your phone that's a sort of artificial intelligence too. So it's very broad, right? right? There's there's you know so many types and aspects to what it can look like. What aspect of AI? Either impresses you, or concerns you, or you know, excites you the most.
1: Well, the, the, at, the, at its very core, and you, you you sort of sketch this out for us, it's uh, uh, pattern recognition, right? So it, you collect data, whether that be well, you collect in digital data, so it could be images like a face, mm. um, or it could be uh, text, um, or it could be sound, a music. Mm-hmm. Um, And the ability to analyze that data and find patterns, that's essentially what scientists do, right? We Mm -hmm. look at nature and look for patterns, and then we analyze those patterns to see if there's a systematic trend. We do statistical analysis, and then we make, based upon those patterns, we can make predictions about what can happen uh, in the future. Uh, it could be a, you know something as simple as a simple linear trend, or it could be sinusoidal. But there's some sort of pattern, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what impresses me about AI is that its ability to collect large volumes of data and to ferret out patterns and then make predictions uh, with a certain um, well in they, a very qu- human way. In a very human way, right? Um, so there's the, the applications as you noted are are, are so broad. This is interesting because my students recognize this. For example, if if you are interested in buying a, a climbing rope for an up, upcoming climbing adventure and so you go on and in Amazon you're looking for a climbing rope and you go, yeah. well, I, I need this type of climbing rope and you're searching 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 and you realize, you know, I don't need this for a couple months. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to buy it right now. So then when you do buy it, um, it's, you're certainly prompted to buy it a couple times. Hey, did you, did you want to buy this? Mm-hmm. So you're prompted. But then when you order it and it says, uh, well, we can get that there in a week, and then all of a sudden it shows up in two days. And you wonder, how could how could Amazon? They must be a great company if they can get it there in two days. Mm-hmm. But what they've done is they've looked at your buying patterns in the past, and they've noticed that you always look at things, and then you purchase them. Well, 80% yeah. of the time you purchase them, right? Yeah. They look at it and they go, well, they make a prediction. Well, he's probably gonna buy that climbing rope, so we're gonna ship the rope to to the local Appleton warehouse, and it'll be ready to go on a truck the second he orders it. Mm -hmm. Um, So on one hand, you can say that's that's amazing, right, to be able to predict people's buying behaviors, but it becomes a little ominous when uh, uh, they're looking at your own personal data, and making these predictions and categorizing you in such a way. I think the, the, the privacy concerns are, are where you have the, the, the biggest uh, biggest worries. And then, of course, with facial recognition and uh, political freedom, that's also an issue as well, too. Mm-hmm. I know uh, apparently China is the leading country in the world with facial recognition. Yeah. Um, but and they do that for malevolent mm-hmm. uh, reasons, not for... To unlock right. your iPhone.
0: That's uh, where it gets complicated because it's kind of in the unknown of, you know, w- will that happen? You know, because, you know, it definitely could, right? Yeah. It's getting more likely. And But when you were talking about patterns and anticipating them and predicting them, you, what you made me think of was the uh, the new camera on the iPhone because if you zoom in, there's this new feature where you can zoom in 100x and it's, you know, you could basically get really close good shot of the moon you can see the craters of it and everything but actually it's not that the camera is you know a super good camera or that it well it is a super ca- good camera but it's not like it has like that uh, potential or capacity to zoom that far it's actually the artificial intelligence predicts you know you know the craters like on the moon are like you know the lighting and stuff like that it makes it more real it also brings up it's going to be more hard in the future to differentiate what's real and what isn't
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and that's a classic case of it, right but you know you're um, I, I sort of chuckle about what's real and what's not real because um, we we assume that what we perceive through our senses our our vision and our hearing and our taste and smell we we assume that what enters our brain is real. But our own brain, our own visual system will also make predictions and fill in empty spaces as well. So in a sense, AI is working just like our own natural brain system. And so, I mean, if, if I described correctly what you mentioned about the new uh, Apple camera, it's it's that the... Uh, it's not that it has incredible optics. I'm sure the optics are decent. Right. It's just that the... Uh, the, the software, the coding that goes along with it is so good it can predict what should be there and then it can yeah. increase its resolution yep. not based upon optics but based upon statistical prediction. Right, yeah, you said it better than me. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, that's extraordinary but the, 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 um, the, uh, the confusion about what's real and what's not real so that prediction uh, uh, of what a pixel and an image should be it's probably what it's, it, it is in reality. It might be, you know, a the confidence level might be ninety percent, ninety five percent. So it's not exactly what it might have been, but it's it's a, mm-hmm. a good enough uh, predictor. Right. But yeah, so what's real and what's not real was something, that, and where that's a real concern is when you think about um, audio and video tapes of people and in interviews in the media um, and the ability to synthesize interviews the ability right. to take a, a voice from a human and deep manipulate fics. it
0: yep deep uh, it. They're, they're getting really good um a reference the younger population would get is um you know on like tiktok or instagram you'll see these uh, videos or reels and it's you know pictures of uh, our videos of trump biden and obama like all talking to each other like it's not real but their voices are like spot on like they it actually looks like the words are coming out of their mouth um you know like i see i saw like a podcast with like steve jobs before and steve jobs passed away before podcasts were even a thing you know and it's it's really strange because you know i i figured out that they weren't real because you know i looked into it and you know just you know i critically thought about it but if i was just Quickly swiping by or not even thinking about it, you know. I would have just be like, "Oh, that's real."
1: You know? So you can influence people on a mass scale using uh, synthesized information. Yeah, um, that's a, a real concern, particularly uh, in a population that isn't well educated or is maybe uh, marginal in its literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, PR firms, which you know, try to persuade people and manipulate the. Reality um, will yeah. find it a, a, a great um, asset to them, but yeah, if you're concerned about pursuing the truth and in reality as we perceive it, it's a it's an enormous uh, threat, particularly if people are spending, you know, four to six hours a day looking at a screen which has the you know mm-hmm. and, and social media or apps that are presenting them with uh, non-real images. That's going to influence their brains. It's going to influence the way they think, mm-hmm. uh, and so that to me is a is a big concern. So how do you how do you contrast that with some of the incredible benefits of AI, right? So, for example, in medicine and diagnostics, um, therapy and surgical decision making, it's extro- it could be there's extraordinary promise in terms of helping people, making more accurate diagnoses and and better uh, treatment uh, options for people. I think uh, healthcare. Ha- at least one dimension of healthcare, there are tremendous opportunities. The other area where there's, I, I as a as a science teacher, where I think there might be uh, some great opportunities is in astronomy, and people who are um, scientists who are looking for um, you know exoplanet yeah. discoveries or shout out Andy Lamia, yeah, 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 your your good friend and a great former student Andy Lamia. That's going to be part of his uh, professional life as an as a astronomer, PhD mm-hmm. astronomer, is using AI to help uh, understand the uh, nature of distant galaxies and interpret large quantities of, of data from James Webb Telescope or yeah. whatever other space-based telescopes we're getting, mm-hmm. you know, large volumes of data. Then, then it has the, the opportunity to do amazing, uh, profound uh, things that humanity might benefit from. Right, um, But like with all critical issues, will we be able to navigate uh, uh, the the world of AI in such a way that we capitalize on its benefits and protect ourselves or protect society against some of the malevolent ways yeah. it can be used?
0: I, I saw something where uh, scientists and even actually, well, uh, Elon Musk, I'm just trying to find it here. Yeah, Elon Musk and a whole bunch of uh, scientists, are halt, they like want to halt production on uh, AI research. I have an article right here, and it says, We call on all AI labs to immediately pause for at least six months for the training of AI systems more powerful than chat GPT-4 this pause should be public and uh, verifiable and include all key actors. If such a pause cannot be enacted quickly, governments should step in and institute uh, a, a basically a policy. Apple co-founder Steve Was, uh, Wozniak, Wozniak. Mm-hmm. Um, they're calling for a six month pause to consider the risks of artificial intelligence. So do you think that's good because it is kind of like, hey, let's, let's step back let's take a look at this You know, we don't want to create something that we can't control.
1: Yeah, and in tandem with the pause, we need to um, initiate appropriate regulatory oversight um, because the capacity for AI to transform society and business, international relations, um, is so vast and so extensive that it requires... uh, Regu- regulation in some form um, so i think the 6 month pause i see where they're coming from they they want the 6 month pause mm-hmm. to to be a little more contemplative about where we're going which i always, i think is a great idea when you mm-hmm. make quick rash decisions and don't fully contemplate the negative consequences of what you're doing you can end up yeah. in a in a bad place
0: well did you see that italy banned jet gpt
1: oh interesting yeah, yeah
0: the ban by italy has motivated the interest of other privacy uh, regulators in europe who are studying if harsher measures are needed to rein in chatbots and whether to coordinate such actions you know what do you think about that a country going as far as to ban ban that is does that just scream that whoa, this is this is something we haven't seen before this is this is evolution in a way right and mm-hmm. we don't it, it's out of control right
1: yeah, and unfortunately, certainly in the United States and other parts of the world, the the whole idea of the concept of restraint um, and being contemplative before moving forward is, is is sort of frowned upon. We we like um, speed, go go go, and yep. unlimited freedom, without realizing the downsides of not being you know having restraint or right. not having equal doses of responsibility with right. with freedom.
0: You ever see that movie? Uh, it's about that oil rig that basically, like, it, you know, it, it, where if it gets too much pressure, it kind of, like, blows up. The oil comes up, and the rig starts on fire. And, um, and the company, they they knew that it was about to – the pressure was about to build up and it was about to do that, but they kept going because – they wanted to maximize profits and stuff like that. It, so I think, I, I, I forgot what the movie's called, mm-hmm. um, but I think that speaks to what you're saying about how at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't really matter about, the, we, we don't think about the consequences, right? We only think about the profit.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah the Gulf spill, right? Back right. in, was it 2000. Nine, two thousand
0: ten. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is good though, because it actually, for a change, we're looking at something and being like, "Okay." Cautious. Yeah. Yeah. And well, okay. So I really want to talk to you about ChatGPT, because it actually is, you know, for the public, you know, you can, well, for people, I should explain for people who don't know ChatGPT or don't use it, um, it's essentially a search engine, kind of like Google. Uh, but where it differs is ChatGPT interacts with you like how a human would, and it studies your, your, you know, you, the the things that you ask it, and it learns and improves with that. Uh, with like you said, it's a it's a database that just collects all this information and it builds and it gets smarter and st- kind of stronger off of that, right? Mm-hmm. When thinking about it, it's it's an artificial intelligence that understands the context of conversations and for the most part provides relevant responses in a a human way nearly every time. So, what was your first impressions of ChatGPT?
1: My initial, well, as a teacher, your initial concern is can students prepare manuscripts and write papers using ChatGPT as a non-human author, as a machine author? And essentially, you know, purchase an academic work. Um, and so there's concerns over that. But my, my subsequent thought was, what am I doing as a, as a teacher if I'm assigning work, whether it be writing or, or otherwise, that can be easily synthesized? It, it forces teachers to be more creative with their work. So, for example, I, I could assign a... A research paper on a certain topic, and that uh, almost any topic, right? Let's say it's a uh, stem cell. Current uh, trends in stem cell research that could easily be synthesized by a non-human author, but actual work in the laboratory, um, or where we're doing research on our local watershed, or doing ecological restoration of a prairie, where where it's hands-on and it's unique to our particular Region or even microregion
0: yeah.
1: that uh, really can't be synthesized uh, because it's so so hyper local mm-hmm. so to a certain extent, if teachers are wise it'll actually steer them in the right direction rather than the wrong direction of 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 of, of banning it and I think about that all the time now when I assign things and i I assume students are going to um, look for the the easy option rather than you know thinking and not, they're going to look for the easy option. Right. So I, 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 I craft my assignments differently.
0: But what if you were... What if, like, you know, go back... And let's say, you know, Jeffrey Kronbaugh, you know, you're my age in this type of modern world. Do you think you'd be... Would you be tempted to... Do you think you'd be tempted, I guess, is my question.
1: Oh, I w- my, I'm, I'm a curious person, so I would be very curious yeah. about it to, to check it out. Just, yeah. and, but... And I think, like you, you're, you're very curious too. You check it out. But then the next intellectual step is to criticize it, right? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. to say, what's, what's wrong with this? Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the social ramifications of this, right? So it wouldn't stop with just blindly using it mm-hmm. and, and taking advantage of it. It would be, hmm is is this actually good for my intellectual development?
0: At the end of the day, you know, there's like that, there's that dopamine rush or that pleasure of just like, oh, I don't have to do, I don't have to do anything for this. I can just type it into the computer and it'll do it all for me. Right. But there is that little voice where it's just all like, it would have felt better if, you know, I actually, I did this because it would actually benefit me in the future.
1: Yeah, in in the uh, field of Exercise physiology now, there's this, there's this term now that's being discussed called clutch, clutch moments, uh, in a run or in an athletic event. And they're usually times that are unpleasant. There are times where there's a struggle, uh, a time where there's uh, stress. Um, and the discussion is how valuable those moments are, because they're not fun. When you're immersed in that moment, it's not enjoyable at Mm -hmm. all. You have to work through it. But there's this uh, pleasure and enjoyment that comes after that. Yeah, I I made it through that. Mm -hmm. I was able to work hard and navigate through something that was very challenging, and I was successful at it. Mm -hmm. Or I was pretty good at it, and next time when I I encounter that, I'll, I'll be able to handle it much better. Mm -hmm. There's an enormous amount of satisfaction that's very pleasurable after the effect. So you you negate that human experience of suffering, struggling, trying hard, navigating difficult times, and the pleasant feelings that come afterwards, not during.
0: From my experience, I think the best thing that has worked for me is if I, the first thing I do in the morning is if I force myself to go work out or take a cold shower, mm. do a cold plunge, because I necessarily don't want to do those things, but I know that, you know, what I want to, you know, what I want to do, who, you know, what, wh- I guess who I want to be, like, I know that I need to do those things. And I think there's something about, you know, it's, it's kind of strange because when I wake up in the morning, like, I just notice it's like this really negative thinking of like, oh, just go back to bed, you know, or like, no, I don't really want to go do that. You know when that wins then that little voice wins you know you you feel like really crappy but if you're but for the little moments where you beat that voice and you do get up and do the hard thing you feel tremendous mm. for the rest of the day right you feel tremendous and I really think it is is because you you swallowed that frog and you did that right away in the day so it just makes all your other tasks less tedious
1: I'm a firm believer that mobility, moving, particularly in if possible in a natural or semi-natural state, that's that's what is the path to true bliss, right? so if you're if you've been immobile sleeping, obviously you need the rest, so you need to sleep and you may feel well rested, but you've been immobile for seven, eight hours. You haven't been moving. Mm-hmm. And what really gets the brain going and is, I think, a path to uh, contentment, is being physically active. So you mentioned working out, right? Getting up and going for a walk or for a run or just going outside and ideally being in a natural setting, but being physically active
0: mm-hmm. I
1: think is, 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 is critical to uh, contentment. Mm-hmm. First thing, first, the first thing you do but, you know, before anything else is just get outside and be uh, physically active. You know, being sedentary is not only bad for your physical health, but I think it may even be more destructive for your psychological and social well-being. And I think you that's thats what you're kind of discovering, right, when you wake up in the morning and your um, your brain chemistry is not optimal. It's, its It may even be negative, and all of a sudden you realize, I need to get moving, I need to work out, and you do that. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's like mm-hmm. clicking a switch, um, and you right. feel much better.
0: Yeah. I guess the best way I can explain it is the resistance, mm. you know? I feel it the most right when I wake up yeah. is resistance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's worse these days because, well, I discovered a prevalent thing. I You know, most people I talk to, yeah, they, you know, they say, like, yeah, it's the, I have to get off my phone to sleep.
1: Yeah, the, the blue light stimulation is not good for restful sleep. mm mm-hmm. um, so you know, like you said, in addition to not eating a big meal right before you go to bed, it's probably good not to yeah. cons- consume uh, uh, a lot of uh, screen time mm. right before. Right. You know? Uh, you know, turn down the lights and maybe read a book or listen to music or whatnot. Right. Those are the things that kind of relax the brain and, mm-hmm. and ease that transition into a you know good healthy uh, sleep session.
0: You know, uh, ever listen to Andrew Huberman? He's a professor at Stanford in uh, neuropsychology, and he has this podcast where, you know, he releases public science information, our education. He talks a lot about cold and heat therapy, but he also mentions uh, the benefits of getting sunlight right away in the morning. I know, like, if it isn't sunny out, I know you can get that same effect maybe from, like, a red light. Or I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, those?
1: I mean it can, can have a profound influence. Obviously, there's the diagnosable illness, uh, seasonal affective disorder, where you just not not enough light, um, and that can obviously affect um, uh, a person's mood in fairly dramatic ways. Some people are more susceptible to it than others.
0: Because you think about like people who live in colder places, right? Like how do they, can, how would they be able to get that effect? Right.
1: Know? Right traditional people's all always got outside they were outdoors so there must be some aspect to it even if it's cloudy out for a long period of yeah, time yeah um because if you live somewhere warmer
0: you can still get the same
1: effects of
0: cold therapy if you know you just have a body of water near you right you can right. still do a cold plunge yeah or you know just take a cold shower but do you think about cold places like i'm sure like you know obviously the sun still beams on you and you yeah. get that but to get the maximum benefits from it, you know, I wonder if how they would do that. Yeah. You know, if it's through red light or I don't know.
1: Yeah, you. The question is, you know, what part of the the, the spectrum, the sun's spectrum, is most valuable when you're getting up in the morning? Is it the, mm. you know, the the longer wavelength red lights or the the shorter wavelengths, of the the blue lights? The blue lights are what you get from your sc- your screens, right? They mm-hmm. keep your mind sort of hyper vigilant, whereas the, the the red lights might have more of a, a calming um, mm. influence, so maybe that's what you've you made me curious now to to want to go and look that investigate yeah. that a little bit more. But I know part of waking up, right, is uh, light coming into your the room and that natural process of the of the brain awakening. And
0: how do you wake yourself up in the morning?
1: Well, I have an alarm, uh, but I'll tell you, I I get up somewhere between ten and five minutes before my alarm almost every morning. Yeah. Okay. So I. Um, because I have to get to work on time, I, I, I don't quite get to the point where I trust getting up every morning. But uh, I, even now, we're on spring break right now, I, and I get up at the same time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Go
0: to sleep at the same time, too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah I, think, uh, I think half of all mental illness could be minimized if people followed a, a, a schedule. Yeah. They went to bed about the same time, get up at the same time, approximately the same time every day. High protein, moderate fat diets, keep your blood sugar steady. Because if you think of it, if, if, if you were living inside your brain, right, and you, and, you're, and, you, and you only get the information that your body, the body f- feeds you, and you're getting up at the same time every day, yep, you, you can expect this every day. Oh, the school's on fire. We're in a school, so we have these, these, these <laughs> bells here. Getting up at the same time, yep, I expect this. Next morning at 6 a.m., yep, and getting up, yep, 6 a.m. the next day, and, that, and there's, there's nothing to, to, to worry about. Going to bed at the same time, my blood sugar is steady throughout the day because of a, you know adequate protein and moderate fat, eating a good diet, complex carbohydrates, and, uh, and eating well, so the blood sugar stays stable. So if inside the brain, you've got a routine and a steady supply of energy. Nothing mm-hmm. to worry about, right? right? But if you think about waking up at a different time and then a different time and yeah. then a different time and your brain doesn't, oh, wait, what time are we going to wake up tomorrow? Yeah. What time are we going to go to bed tonight? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there's this natural provoking of anxiety because right. things are, are not regular. They're constantly changing. Right. Blood sugar goes up. We have lots of energy. Then we don't have lots of energy. We have lots of energy. Then we don't have lots of energy. Yeah. You can see where the brain would... It, the brain's natural response would be anxiety because it's not consistent. Mm-hmm. There's there's unexpected change, right. unpredictable change, occurring you're, all the time.
0: You're talking about things though that even we learn in pre-K, though, right? You know, get enough sleep, sleep well, eat well, and I think majority of the people know that, right? But still, what? But so. But why don't people do it? Like, I'm still trying to figure out you know, a good sleeping and waking up schedule. I'm trying to be more consistent with it. Like, like people know this. Why do you think it's still a struggle for it not to be done?
1: Well, let's, let's bring it back to AI and back to our the technology with, um, with uh, phones. My students typically, based upon my surveys of them, spend two to eight hours a day, probably an average of more like four to six hours a day uh, on their phone. So what that means is, is what, that's influencing their brain. That's, you know, that, that's when their brain is being wired, because they're adolescents, their brains are being wired every day based upon their visual and auditory yeah, smell experiences that's wiring their brain. Their mm-hmm. brain is being wired by what's coming through th- to them via their screen.
0: Mm-hmm. Six
1: hours, let's say six hours a day, five hours a day, every single day. That's the primary influence on them not their kindergarten teacher not grandpa and grandma not mom and dad who are saying you know go to bed at nine o'clock and get up at six o'clock or whatever their routine should be uh they're captives of their screen now most apps do everything they can in a very sophisticated fashion now they've got ai on their side they're Their task is to keep you on their app as long as possible because the longer you're on the app, the more money they make. And when they present their data to potential advertisers, they can say, hey, we keep the average 16 to 24-year-old on our app for an hour and 15 minutes a day. Uh, Therefore, we can charge more money. So so it's in the app's interest to keep a young person glue to their screen right. even that, though the person doesn't even know there's a, so anyway yeah. let's get why aren't they living a healthy but, lifestyle but that's
0: interesting because what you're saying is that it's it's harder to almost be healthier in the modern world right it's i don't know if hard is the right word but it's more i guess it's more complicated right it's, it's more complicated there's more factors if
1: you have discipline uh and by discipline i mean you know what i i'm gonna limit I'm going to physically limit the amount of screen time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and you spend more time reading, spend more time in conversation with real people, face-to-face conversation. If you're disciplined about that, and uh, aware, hey, I'm I'm spending way too much time on this app. I'm, it's sort of a runaway, uh, almost semi-addictive process. If you're aware of that, then you can you can limit it. You can be disciplined, yeah. and. Uh, and and lead a healthy life um you know exercising every day and eating well and and being on a good sleep routine all those things can uh can uh, allow you to live a healthy lifestyle but you have to be aware the awareness is 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 a critical issue so that's why a, a podcast like this might be really important to listen to right because i think a lot of students young young people are sort of pulled in they're allured uh in uh and they're lured in intentionally, like I said, for economic reasons right the mm. The apps want them there as long as possible, so they can make more money um but it's to the detriment of the of the of the young person's mental health and physical health because they're spending so much time there but otherwise i mean there's the availability of healthy food um the opportunities for uh outdoor recreation have n- mm. never been. Better than they are now for, for, for many people, so
0: would you suggest that for a person that's trying to get better at those things that if they can figure it out, would the first step to be be to change your environment
1: oh yeah yeah it's a, it's a very wise choice. Change your environment um, and by environment it's you know the places where you hang out, the people that you hang out with right because that's that's going to uh, the people you have conversations with that you spend time with, they're going to be the influencers on how your brain is wired. So if you're hanging out with thoughtful, intelligent, creative uh, people with uh, empathetic and kind and gracious, uh, your brain's going to be wired that way. Mm-hmm. But if or, you're ha- you
0: know, if you're hanging around rich people, you might just end up rich, kind of thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Right. Yeah, it can work in all sorts of ways. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to ask you is, you know, just you knowing what you know about artificial intelligence, do you think, like, obviously, I, I, I'm I, not expecting you to know the answer to this question, but do you think it could get to the point of evolution where systems like ChatGPT and artificial intelligence could improve to have the ability to express emotions or opinions?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that... Wow, that's crazy. Like, how, mm-hmm. how soon do you think? I don't know. Five to ten years? Wow. The, here's, here's what's informing my that's crazy. thoughts on this. We, we already have, you mentioned facial recognition. Mm. So th- there's already, uh, there are already tools that can look at your face. right? So they're rec- already recognized as your face and is, you know, your identity. But then it can go beyond that to realize, OK, it can rec- you know look at the, the, the mouth and how the, the corners of the mouth are upturned or downturned. Certain muscles in the face are contracted or uncontracted, down to the pixel level. Um, the eyes, with the nas- how the nose is flared or not flared, mm-hmm. um, can predict emotions, right? Anger, anxiety, um, frustration. Uh, and we'll be able to predict just by looking at you and so you can imagine a person being alone and talking to their AI psychotherapist, right? Yeah. And the AI psychotherapist is looking at you and he says, well, uh, Sarah, you look uh, kind of sad today. Is there anything I can help you with? And then it listens mm. to what you say then offers an empathetic response. Yeah. Or, um, hey, Jim, you seem to be frustrated or angry about something. and And then it would also know, where you'd been that day and who you were around, it would it would be picking up all this other data, wow. and it say, you know, is there something to, that I can help you with? Would it would be good to talk about this. So, so like you can almost Siri, imagine right? a therapist.
0: Like Siri steroids, almost right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, is that a good thing or a bad thing that you that you can seek reasonably good psychotherapy I, through uh, a through a phone?
0: The reason I think it could be like it could obviously there's a lot of positives and. Uh, negatives to it but i think a cool positive is that we'll will provide unbiased information because when you're talking to someone you always kind of get a biased perspective like through their experiences and you know whatever their beliefs are but when you're talking to artificial intelligence it's kind of like a it's really sophisticated data collection that has a balance Mm -hmm. of information from credible sources what like a negative is that you're not getting it face-to-face from a human which is what we've known for the history of human civilization right right so what are they going to be the effects of that and you can kind of look to you know social isolation when somebody just doesn't have that social aspect of seeing or being around people you know it it, you know, it destroys them, right? Yeah,
1: it impairs their immune system. They don't live as long. They increase risk of uh, cardiovascular disease yeah. with, with a, a lack of, you know, it's aloneness, right? It right. it's primarily affects our, well, most of the literature is on the elderly um, who are alone and, and don't have that social interaction. So there's a profound health effect of not having face-to-face right. human interaction. I think we're beginning to see that um, in, in young people um, and to a devastating extent, really, uh, if you look at um, the increased um, risk and, and incidence of uh, depression and anxiety and all the, uh, the physical effects that go along with that in young people, um, yeah, there are profound uh, health consequences uh, without, without having face-to-face uh, interactions.
0: But do you think AI will get to the point, like you said, where it does have the ability to express, you know, emotions and opinions where it could just trick somebody into thinking that they don't Easily. need that, right? Like, Easily. oh, I have it with this, with my phone, with, you know, this, with Dan, you know, whatever the AI is called, mm-hmm. you know? There yeah. are certain
1: aspects of humans, though, that I, that if they make their way into AI are concerning because biological evolution or psychobiological evolution, we're... we're as a species, we're, we, have to, we have to confront some realities. For example, as a species, we're way too aggressive. Uh, violence is, still continues to be um, a problem that, that, that plagues us. And so that's gonna, people are going to use AI uh, for malevolent reasons. They're going to mm-hmm. use it to, to gain advantage or, or to hurt um, other groups of people mm-hmm. that that's still deeply uh, I- embedded it, embedded in us um, um, so I, I think that's going to be a a, a concern um, you mentioned too the the dopamine effect where as a species we still have this uncanny um, uh, pattern of 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 becoming addicted to things and uh I don't know if we see addiction in other species or, or, or not, but um, our propensity to become addicted is also something that they can be taken advantage of uh, with, with um, social media and AI. Um, you yeah. think, well, we could cure people from, from addiction with AI, but you can also uh, get people addicted through AI as well.
0: So like monkeys can't get addicted to cigarettes and things like that?
1: Um. Yeah, I think you could probably, I mean, certain, certain chemical addictions, but uh, it seems as, you know, our, our, that's us putting them on nicotine. It isn't yeah, them going right. out yeah, and f- finding something in the right. forest and going back to that place every day and mm-hmm. getting high off of yeah, a certain right. plant. Uh, it's humans in a laboratory giving them something and showing that there is a, there's a neurophysiological system that undergirds the, the addiction, yeah. And they probably have a similar neurophysiology too, so they have the propensity to be addicted, right? They have morphine receptors, so they mm-hmm. can um, they can become addicted. But it's not like they're going out and and in uh, raising you know coca leaves and and grinding them up and mm-hmm. and purifying them into a powdered form. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, those are two two concerns I I have. Right. Back back to your idea about a possible advantage of AI is not being biased. I could see that, but also realize that if you wanted to, you could actually engineer a particular bias into AI if you want. In other words, the bias can be engineered. Uh, a lot of very rigorous scientists now self-examine and, and almost admit, hey, uh, this is my bias. I'm aware of my own bias here, so let that flavor your interpretation of, of, of my work. So, yeah, I, I think we still need to be aware of 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 bias. Yeah. But how many people? I mean, I, I know you do, but you, and I know I do at home when I'm listening to the radio at home, or watching a television program, I'll I'll criticize it for its bias. I'm thinking, gosh, they didn't offer. They only offered one perspective or they yeah. off, off, offered a very limited perspective or they didn't talk to so-and-so who's an expert in the field or they completely neglected this issue that would have made the story more complete. Mm-hmm. But how many people actually criticize their, their, their source of, of media, right? They're not critical of it. Um, yeah. that, that's what I worry about.
0: Yeah, it's almost like um, like you see people on shows or podcasters or whatever like a lot of them got in trouble get in trouble for you know if they say something that isn't totally correct or certified and you see a lot of blame be be thrown on them but sometimes where does the accountability come for the people wearing the headphones making the decisions right like at the end of the day You shouldn't be... You should just be obtaining that as information that shouldn't be really influencing your actions as a person, you know? Like, Mm. I think that's a good point. It also comes out accountability for the person of where they're getting their sources of information. Yeah. I remember the first podcast we did, we... um, It was like... I think it was fairly the beginning of the pandemic. And um, it was a crazy time because it was, you know... Obviously, it was like we didn't really know anything about COVID and it's not like we know too much more about it now but looking back at it from the first podcast you know looking back because I think we were almost I think I don't know if it was before the lockdown or after but it was near around that time have your thoughts on COVID changed or do you see do you see anything that was interesting about that time?
1: It, it concerned me the way society reacted toward it from a, a science perspective, uh, the, when physicians and scientists are doing their best to try to come up with medicines and vaccines to try to make uh, the world a better place, and, and uh, that's politicized. That mm-hmm. sort of revealed an ugly side uh, to humanity, it's sort of anti-science. Ethos that emerged from it uh, concerned me. Um, I mean, our good friend Andy and and uh, Bella. I remember they came in one time on a Wednesday afternoon to uh, when there wasn't school, when we were off on Wednesdays, right, the break day, and they came in and did a lab on their own and were able to mm-hmm. um, do a two-hour lab and and uh, it was a great experience, you know, working with those students in the in the laboratory during that time. So I think there were definitely some positives that came out of it. Um, but, yeah, the negative would be the revelation that there's a large segment of the population that doesn't understand uh, science and medicine the way they should.
0: you think there was also a problem of, like you said, like a lack of encouragement of diet dieting and exercising during that time? Because all that was really pitched was, like, because all you heard about was the vaccine, right? That's like the only way to kind of, you know, get over this. Mm-hmm. Do, do from your, you know, from your experiences, do you think that if people were to diet and exercise or take vitamins, do you think that could be just as beneficial?
1: Well, it's beneficial for everything, for every disease, right? right? Yeah. So, because so your immune system um, reflects uh, your physical state of health, mm-hmm. right? So, if you're... Fit and uh, um, and you get an adequate amount of sleep, and you have a a good diet. Your immune system is going to be strong, right. which doesn't doesn't prevent you from contracting the illness, but it reduces your your risk of serious consequences. Right, just like the vaccine, it's not going to prevent you from necessarily contracting COVID, but uh, the data shows that overall, it'll it'll minimize your your Risk, but that's mm-hmm. the way medicine has been for a long time right. in this country, right? We 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 do emphasize uh, um, pills and shots and right and uh, dosable remedies as opposed to the more mm-hmm. difficult lifestyle changes that yeah uh, ultimately can have a more profound right uh, effect.
0: It's like you said, you know, it's okay to also look at something though and be able to criticize it because. Mm-hmm. I also noticed that the vaccine was mainly the only thing that was being, like, prompted. Like, this is kind of the only thing you can do to get over for us to get out of this time. I just thought it it was strange that, you know, an alternate, like, exercising or just, you know, living your life healthier, like, that wasn't encouraged. Like, these vaccine was the only thing that was being encouraged. And it just kind of makes me think about, how a lot of things are just about money at the end of the day, mm. and how you know who's providing these vaccines, pharmaceutical companies you know, and they made so much money during that time, but you also got to think of the tremendous work that scientists did and the the, the achievements and the accomplishments that they were able to or that they were able to pursue during that time and and accomplish. Do you think there will be, like, a big documentary in five or ten years that goes over this whole, like, period of time and picks it apart piece by piece?
1: And oh, yeah. Um, and Because um, looking in the rearview mirror always allows for um, a different sort of perspective, the historical perspective, right? And that's yeah.
0: science, too, right? Being able to go back and question it, right? Because, like, yeah. this isn't, like, because that's what science is, being able to adjust your, you know, based on new credible evidence you adjust to that right and right
1: and that's that's an aspect of science i'm glad you brought that up because that's a a nuance of science that a lot of people don't understand it's a science is a a process of asking questions and then uh developing predictions about how things work and then testing them right Mm -hmm. um and every every round of that 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 process you you discover something new and sometimes you discover something new that that Contradicts our understanding of what we had in the past, mm. um, so or or more often it, it incrementally improves or further defines. Now yeah. that we know more,
0: yeah. So, I, I just want to ask you this question because I, I don't want to lose the thought. But I'm not talking specifically to COVID, though. But do you think scientists and corporations would some would be presented new evidence, but don't change their way of thinking or don't apply a new theory because that wouldn't serve the corporational interests of their company.
1: Oh yeah. You can definitely imagine a situation like that, right? Which, um, I mean, a wonderful thing would be a cure for diabetes, right? Yeah. Um, But there are companies that make a lot of money off of selling medication for diabetes, right? Um, They recombinant, uh, um, Uh, insulin is a highly profitable drug and it's it saves people's lives but ultimately what you'd want to do is cure the disease which would completely eliminate the revenue from selling Mm. medicines for that yeah so there's there's a disincentive uh, to actually um, encourage a lifestyle or encourage a, a cure uh, because that will decrease your revenues, right? It's, you're not yeah. going to be able to sell as much medicine. Right. Um, people who sell diabetes medication would actually profit more if more people develop diabetes. I know that's a very cynical thing to say, but uh, it.
0: But why do you think in all our gas stations we have all this, you know, junk food all right in front? Like it's so crazy because compared to the two countries that I've been to, which is Jamaica and Guatemala, it's so insane to just recognize when you're here in America how many fast food restaurants there is like multiple on each block you go past and you wonder like is this kind of all of a system at the end of the day where it's just like hey you know it's more of a money game if it just goes back to healthcare right being private being a private uh sector in our country mm-hmm. you know that makes that makes money yeah. um you know that's a whole nother conversation.
1: Um, that'll be that'll be the next podcast. Yeah, because we'll yeah. yeah, that'd be a, an amazing discussion because uh, that should be a concern for many young people your age uh, growing up in the United States. Um, is the uh, difficult situation we have with health care. It's very mm. expensive. Um, here at the the school, the rates have gone up fourteen percent or they' uh, this year, and so that. That eats away at the the school's budget. Yeah, um, it be, it's it's just very very expensive, and there are alternative systems that, um, that that exist. That
0: well, yeah, it's just crazy when you just we're the richest country in the world, mm. at least I think you know you know what I'm kind of talking. Well, uh, historically I should mm. say, and we don't have free. You know, for eating, uh, universal health care. Universal health care. You know, what's interesting to me is that it's like we were talking about. It kind of goes back to all just being a money game, right? Like, why are things the way they are? Well, you can commonly just, like, do, oh, well, they're making a profit off of that, you know? But you also look at Canada. They have universal health care. Mm. Uh, while that's good, you could also say that that their quality of medicine and care is it's nowhere near what the states is because when you think of the states, that is kind of the top standard for quality of medicine and health If you're rich. If you're rich, yes, correct. <laughs> to kind of tie this to artificial intelligence, do you think that if artificial intelligence is made accessible to people, not just rich people, just, but to all, all sorts of people, beneficial to all sorts of people, no matter your class or you know, your skin color, do you think that could kind of change the bar on some things? Do you think this could be kind of like the first thing where it, it, it
1: levels the playing field? Uh, potentially, yes, and that should be a topic of discussion as we, you know, you mentioned the six-month pause is providing um, access in an equitable fashion mm-hmm. because with earlier technologies, typically only the only the rich, right, right? Um, have, would have or at least preferential access to, te- you know, technologies. Um, so I think that needs to be um, one of the, the main issues uh, that would be accessible to all. Even Internet today, I mean, obviously we're, we're making big strides now to make sure everyone has access to, to, to the uh, Internet. But a lot of people yeah. live in areas where they have limited resources. Why? Because it was not considered profitable to provide uh, cable or... Or, or Wi-Fi in really sparsely populated Those rural, are private rural areas.
0: Sector companies mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So,
1: but if you if you walk into it thinking, okay, uh, we we're not going to introduce this technology and let it be a you know a runaway tool for the rich to get richer, we're going to provide provide it as access to to everyone, yeah. right But AI right now yeah. is is being. I mean, G- Google has a, a, a AI machine learning products that they they sell to other companies it's a it's a pretty significant source of revenue Mm -hmm. right now um do you know what i think
0: is a good example though of what you were talking about water because you think about water is kind of like this accessible thing where you know every human needs but yet somebody was able to figure out a way to just put it in a plastic bottle and sell and make profit off of it Mm -hmm. you know and in private that's that's a private sector too water companies and yeah, it's interesting.
1: It's one of it's, it's, it's the most profitable beverage, right, um, mm. is bottled water, and sales have been increasing um, steadily uh, f- um, for bottled water worldwide. Um, and then you have the, the sec- secondary issue of increased plastics pollution, right, because we don't yeah. recycle at a very significant rate, not more than 7%, 8 9% of, of plastics. So it introduces a lot of uh, plastic pollution. Uh, and the companies can persuade people to th- to think bottled water is better for them than tap water when really what we should be doing is uh, investing in infrastructure where, where everyone's tap water is clean and safe and and adequate to, to meet their daily needs
0: yeah think about that too like you know plastic in the ocean and stuff like fish eating that or that getting into fish mm. and then the fishermen the fish getting fish. yeah the fishermen getting that fish and then us eating that fish yeah you know that's got to be you know not um good mm-hmm. you know and i uh, there's probably more cases of that than we think and how would we even know mm-hmm. um you would have to get your food more locally or cuz you think about it like at farms cuz you think about like a chicken like they being in the being in the na- like the the wild they would be eating bugs going around um, getting maybe little rodents but at farms they're being feed like like nuts and you know um, these high protein foods corn
1: soy yeah I mean you, that that's an also another topic for for discussion at another time but yeah. Yeah, after World War II things stepped up particularly with chemical agriculture and then in the uh, early 1970s I think it was the Secretary of Agriculture Earl Butts at the time where they, they made a, a definitive move to go big right Mm-hmm. To, to go big or get out, um, and there was this encouragement at the federal policy level to, for big farms, and me, you know, highly efficient production, but you know, big operations. And so I think there was that was the emphasis at that point in time. Living in Clintonville is kind of a, a, a unusual microcosm because even though we do have some mega farms around here, very large dairies, there still are still are small. Family farms, but uh, that's not the typical case across the country. We have right. um, larger farms where where you have employees that drive there and punch a card and punch out, and then right. it's more like a business rather than a family running their own uh, food production or livestock operation. Uh, right. It's not it's not organized at the family level. It's organized as a as an LLC or a business, and mm-hmm. there's a parking lot and with employees and yeah, and uh, that's how our food production. Uh, has has evolved. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. Interesting.
1: And the the other question we don't have time for today, but you know h- how could um, AI help us? I think one of the one of the worst problems with food production in the United States, if not the world, is 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 food waste. Um, Forty percent mm-hmm. of everything we grow is is wasted. Forty percent. I mean, almost half of the food is wasted, and everything from from uh, um you know harvesting techniques or people not wanting blemished apples or blemished vegetables uh to storage issues people um you know, not eating all the food on their plate yeah. r- wasting food in restaurants overproduction right. uh we have restaurants in town here where they they throw uh, bread and meat and and whatnot into the dumpster every mm-hmm. night. So just we're just throwing lots of food away because you can't yeah. serve that. Um, I'm I'm wondering if AI might help us uh, um, prevent food waste. There are a couple innovative startups now of companies that are whose sole purpose is to minimize f- food waste. These are young people who are very idealistic who. Uh, want to use their intellect and their creativity to really tackle a big issue
0: how would but, you, how would ai help that like come up with solutions or
1: yeah in in terms of uh, uh, food ordering predicting uh, purchase patterns predicting consumption patterns um, mm. coming up with networks of places let's say you have all this extra food where could we take it and and, and there's a there's a ai developed network oh well um, you you 're ha- having this banquet on Friday night um, at such and such you 're going to have extra food well there there are four places within eight miles of you that could use the extra food from that so we 'll send a delivery truck there we 'll pick it up and we 'll we 'll take all the extra food to these you know maybe it 's a daycare center maybe it's a um a school maybe it's mm. a, um, yeah. a an elderly uh, a place uh, assisted living some some place that could use the food right. Um it it's a lo, sort of a logistics thing, but you can imagine AI being able to yeah. to do that really quickly. You
0: gotta think though, does this all will this also lead to a huge shift in automation? Like do you think a lot of jobs will be like telecom like telecommuters?
1: It already that's already happening.
0: Right. Do you think like, you know, jobs like that are gonna be just gone? And do you think there's going to be a lot of people who, like, I'm sure AI, like you said, it opens up a whole new market for jobs. But if you think about kind of the IQ ranges, right, IQ those jobs will kind of take the lower IQ jobs. So, or not lower IQ, but um, I guess what I'm just trying to say is that, do you think that, that that's going to be one of the biggest concerns with AI? Do you think... It will take a lot of jobs, and humans in general just won't have to do as much thinking.
1: Well, hopefully what, the way we'll adjust is we'll, we'll adjust by having everybody work less. Give people more leisure time. Like four-day work weeks. Exactly. Four, the four-day work week is is a... It's possible r- now because
0: of AI, yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think, I think uh, in 10 years you're going to see you're applying for a job, and one company has you working five days a week, other has you working... Four days a week, right? The more competitive companies are gonna they're gonna attract the, the better people, um, and so f- so we'll end up working less. Now there's still gonna be there's still a lot of good work that still needs to be done, building mm-hmm. houses, growing food, uh, repairing uh, equipment, um, doing electrical work, plumbing work, um, know, but it's it's going people are still gonna. One of the hottest jobs right now is uh, solar installers, uh, w- wind turbine repair,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where you, you have to you know scale up on a, way up high on a wind turbine and do maintenance mm. and repair. Uh, the, the, the marketplace for jobs is going to change dramatically, but if you're actually building something or repairing something or growing something, um, your work's not going to go away. But if right. you're in middle management where you're doing logistics, yeah, that might... Mm-hmm that job might be right. replaced. Right. Um,
0: yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: So to wrap this up, um, the kind of label,
0: you know, or summarize what we we're going over, I think it all comes down to the importance of acknowledging these concerns yeah. and uh, to continue to develop and use AI language models or whatever aspect we're talking about in a way that's, responsible and beneficial towards all humans right not just the rich but all humans and that we need transparency with the intention of maximizing potential potential benefits while minimizing the risks of ai you know if we're able to balance that so i think that's basically the only thing that we could do and hopefully that that, that six-month halt is kind of around that thesis mm-hmm. you know so
1: i think so too and, and, and it's a good metaphor for the decisions we all make in life right if you have a critical decision let's you stop and contemplate and be more thoughtful and just take a pause nah. you know, before moving forward because the consequences the negative consequences could be severe uh, the positive consequences could be highly beneficial, but we want to make sure that those positive consequences, as you've noted well, need to be distributed equitably among all people, right, in a fair, yeah. just fashion. So we can't be just the... The, the, the rich can't be uh, capitalizing on all the benefits of AI while, while lower-income people uh, are left behind. Right. But, right, the um, taking a pause and being more contemplative and... Establishing a, a meaningful regulatory framework for it, I think, is is um, mm-hmm. a prudent way to move forward. Right.
0: Well, thank you very much, Mister Crombaugh. You're one of my most favorite people
1: on this planet, and I
0: appreciate you coming on the platform as always. And hopefully, next time we do a podcast, it is on your podcast because I want you to start one. He's, that
1: sounds you know. good. And, and Hayden, I'll 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 I'll, uh, I'll let you know too. You've been one of my best students, and it's one of the exciting things about being a teacher is seeing young people uh, graduate and move on to become uh, influential and pursue their dream, and uh, you're certainly a, a great model of that. So keep up the good work. Thank you. I appreciate it.